is this a UFO? That there's some sort of weird badge of honor about, oh yeah, we did this, and we're going to do this, and we bought this, and we went here, and we did this, and I spent this much time on my Christmas lights, and did all this, and it's all the hustle and the bustle and everything else, and, and, and somewhere in the midst of that, Charlie Brown shows up and asks, does anybody know the true meaning of Christmas? And it takes Linus, right, to quote Luke 2.42 and to share the true meaning of Christmas. It is so easy for us to get bogged down, caught in the middle of, to lose sight quickly of what the true meaning of Christmas is, and we get to such a place to where it's just not enjoyable anymore. And the, the memories that we have are of how busy we were and how hard that was and how challenging that was and how we worked so hard for everything to go so wrong. I remember years ago working for Best Buy and one of the best commercials I've ever seen in my entire life. They would show these to us like in October for, for the Christmas season. And they, they show this kid getting this brand new toy, right? And sitting there and just crying his eyes out because mom and dad forgot to buy batteries. And so what happened at the Christmas season was, you know, those big four by four pallets full of batteries. Every one of our stores got these pallets full of batteries. And the payroll to park someone on that pallet to do nothing but sell batteries. And the the catchphrase was the picture of this crying child going, you don't really want your kid to experience Christmas like this, do you? You need a 48-pack of AA batteries. Who doesn't, right? Who doesn't? It's, It's these memories of Christmas that could go one way or the other, and many of us have some really challenging memories. Some of them are from a trying to make it the best Christmas you could for your kids, you know, and the bike falls apart or they fall off their bike when they're riding it outside or it's raining too hard to go outside and play with. Some of it is just not having those loved ones with you for whatever reason that you had the previous year. Some of it is, and, and, and parents, I'm not accusing any of you of this. I'm just saying hypothetically. It's when you go to grandparent house number one, and then you go to grandparent house number two, and both grandparents got the same thing for your kid, and you have to tell your kid to act surprised when they open both of them. <laughs> I hit a nerve, didn't I? We remember. You know, Christmas ought to be a time that we remember great and wonderful things. But it can be a dark time for many people. It can be a challenging time for many people. It can be an overwhelming emotional time for many people. And so as we think about our Christmas lights and we see them twinkling on our house or on the neighbor's house or, or the places we go, this morning I, I want to declare something just strong and positive and powerful from God's word. And it's simply the true light of Christmas helps us remember that the victory is already ours. Now, let me say that a little bit louder perhaps. The victory is already ours. There is something about the birth of Jesus Christ that is the remembrance for us to say God came through on his promise because he loves his people. And every time we see a Christmas light, every time we see a Christmas tree, every time we see a present, all those other memories of those warm fuzzies are nothing compared to us remembering that God said, I'm going to come down there and be with you. And I'm going to send my son and you're going to celebrate this day. That's a powerful memory for us because sometimes it is easy for us to look at the hustle and the bustle and the busy and the hard and we didn't come through or we forgot the batteries or my kid was disappointed or I don't have that loved one with me for whatever reason that I had last year and Christmas is ruined. Christmas is not ruined. It is the remembrance of the birth of Jesus Christ, the Savior for all mankind. The victory is ours. 
And if we would come to that place and celebrate that more than all the other things, I mean, look, why can't we laugh about a burned turkey or, or, or about the dog eating off of the table? I mean, my mother-in-law was a great cook. I mean, amazing cook. In fact, last year was the first time my wife ever did a holiday meal in 23 years because my mother-in-law always did. She would bring it to our house, come worship Christmas Eve with us. We'd go back to our house and eat all the food she brought. But Amanda was allowed to do the desserts, which she's really good at. And one year, I remember, she made a chocolate pecan pie. It makes your face sweat. It's so rich, right? Like that, you have to get a smaller pie slicer because if you take the regular size, you go into a diabetic coma. It's awesome, right? And we, get, we have this meal that my mother-in-law has prepared, and we start looking for this pie and cannot find it. Now, at the time, my dog was 15 years old, little Deagle. We go looking around the house and can't find this pie anywhere. We walk out the back door, and the dog has taken the chocolate pecan pie through the dog door that she got off the countertop and has eaten the middle out of it, just like you do. <laughs> Christmas was ruined at that point, right? Like, forget about the, 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 the prime rib that my mother-in-law brought over. That pie was ruined. But I remember those things. And this year, we're, we're, she's not going to be with us. And we're going to tell that story. And we're going to laugh. And we're going to look at the 17-year-old dog and go, did you do that? And she's going to go, no. I mean, that's our new memory. We shame the dog now, right? Man, all those things are great. But they're nothing compared to remembering the birth of Jesus Christ. That's why we celebrate this time of year. Paul writes to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 15, 57. He says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. I can only imagine what Satan was going through for nine months. Uh, Joseph probably had a really hard time going, this baby's not mine. I'm going to have to explain this. But Satan's going, this baby's going to ruin everything. Right? And I can't do anything about it. I'll try. But I can't do anything about it. Hey, I'll get Herod to go out. Didn't work. I mean, I wonder if the disappointment was worse the day of Jesus' birth or the day he walked out of that tomb and said, I'm back. The victory is his. And the victory is ours through our Lord Jesus Christ because of what he did for us because he loves us. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn to two passages, John 1, 5, you can turn to this morning, but also to Isaiah chapter 60. And last week we went through John 1 through 4, and this week I just want to, want to, to move on one more verse in John 1, 5, where we're told that, that Jesus was a light of men, the light for all mankind. But, but it says in John 1, 5, it says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's the victory. No matter how hard or how challenging or how uh, misdirected, I mean, come on, did we learn nothing from Clark W. Griswold? I mean, say what you will about that movie, but that dude pulled Christmas together, right? I mean, he finally got the lights to work, and what does his father-in-law say? The little lights aren't twinkling, Clark. I mean, you know, they cut into the beautiful-looking turkey, and what does it do? It explodes, right? The dog, I mean, you know, right? And then he freaks out at the very end of it, and he says, Santa's going to come down the chimney. He's going to find the happiest people ever, right? Hey, man, let me tell you something. Jesus Christ was born in a manger. 
And all that other stuff is junk and garbage compared to the salvation of mankind, Emmanuel, God with us. The victory's ours. And so I, I don't care if it's broken or there's no batteries. The victory is ours. Let us claim that. It, it, I'm not a name it, claim it theology kind of guy. I'm just saying the Bible says true. God made it happen. And I'm the recipient. I'm the greatest recipient of a gift in all mankind. And so are you through our Lord Jesus Christ. And no matter how dark things may get, as John writes to us, the darkness has not overcome the light of men who is Jesus. So this morning, I'm going to encourage you to help us remember. How do we remember that darkness has not overcome? How do we remember that the victory is ours? And so if you found Isaiah chapter 60, this is a really interesting passage of Scripture. I found that in 2022, for whatever reason, I found passages of Scripture that people don't preach on, <laughs> which is not good because I like to cheat. And, and so I don't know what they say, right? But this passage of Scripture, Isaiah chapter 60, it's this beautiful poem. The whole, the whole chapter is this, this poetic movement that, that Isaiah is speaking prophetically to us and giving us this great picture. And so the first thing we're going to see to help us remember that the victory is ours is that we rejoice. I, I, I love that we just sang that song, Rejoice, Rejoice, Emmanuel has come, right? We rejoice. And that's something to say that, that we, we go back to that place of joy and we do it again, right? That's just the simple definition of rejoice. We go back to that place where, where we weren't just happy, we truly had joy, joy that only comes from the Father, and we did it again, and we did it again, and we did it again, and we did so because we know that the victory is already ours because of what Jesus did in that manger and especially for what he did on the cross. We rejoice. Isaiah chapter 60 verse 1 says, Arise, shine for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. What Isaiah is saying in this whole passage, particularly in the first couple of verses here, is he's giving this prophecy to, to believers, to those who are God-fearers or God-followers of the time, and I think can translate to Christians that we would call today. And he's saying, listen, I understand that in the world that you live in, things aren't going the way you want them to, but fear not, Jesus has overcome the world. The darkness has not overcome him. And so you're going to go through some tough times. You're going to go through some challenging times. And the worst thing you can do is wallow in that and let that be your circumstance that defines you. Instead, what you do is you rejoice and saying, look, this is bad times and I don't like it. And I wish it were different, but the victory is already mine because of Jesus Christ. And I don't just claim him. He claims me. Catch that. I rejoice because I am a child of the risen king. And once I belong to him, nobody takes me out of his hand. That's Christmas. That's Monday. <laughs> That's every day. That's I just got fired from my job, but Jesus is bigger. That's I just got a cancer diagnosis, but Jesus is bigger. That's I don't like the, 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 the little boy my, my, my daughter's dating. Jesus is bigger. Introduce the boy to Jesus. He's going to meet him. We rejoice, and we rejoice not internally, we rejoice externally, and we tell others, because people ought to be looking and going, what's wrong with you? The victory's mine. Y'all are in the middle of all this. I've already won. Yeah, what are you getting for Christmas? I already got it. I was nine years old in April in a little small church in the middle of the country, and that was the day that I was victoriously delivered from dark into light. That victory's mine. It's every day. 
We rejoice. We arise and we shine for the light has come. Emmanuel, the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. That's probably one of the saddest things a Christian could ever do is not live in the light of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean you can't have bad days. That doesn't mean you can't have circumstances that just stink. That just means that by definition, I rise above those through our Lord Jesus Christ because the victory is is in Christ. That I look at it for what it is and go, I don't know why I was thinking that things on this side of of eternity were going to be perfect because they're not. We live in a fallen world and things happen and they wear out and they break down. Jesus has given me eternal life. The victory is mine. In fact, just to be perfectly honest with you, I kind of wish this would speed up a little bit because I got big plans for heaven that I'm never going to accomplish here on earth. I'm going to eat fruit every day from a tree that bears all kinds of stuff. You can't eat fruit in Texas. Not from my trees, though. The victory's mine. And I rejoice over that. Sometimes I have to go back to the simplicity as the child and just go, you know what, I don't know everything about the Bible. I don't understand everything that's going on in the world. I'm certainly culturally not in line with some of the stuff, but I've got Jesus. And I know that forever and ever I will rejoice. And I will share that because the light has risen. And the glory of the Lord will shine and that will draw people in. And that takes us to the second thing that we do. We can remember that the victory is ours by relating I think this is probably where we where we we have this weird sort of activity in Christianity. I noticed some of you really really enjoyed singing Christmas carols, and and, and I do for a season. I have to be honest with you. I, I can't listen to KSBJ this time of year. It just loops. It has since Thanksgiving. It just loops, and there's just so much that I can take. Right, especially when you throw in some some traditional Christmas songs that say nothing about Jesus. It just I don't like them. That's just me, okay? But there's something happens when we start to sing Christmas carols. There's something happens when we get together. There's something happens when we look forward to the Christmas party. There's something happens when we have a breakfast over here and people show up. We begin to relate with one another. We begin to relate with other believers. We begin to, I don't know, let iron sharpen iron just as one man sharpens another. Isaiah chapter 60 verse 2 says, For behold, darkness shall cover the earth. Does that sound familiar? And thick darkness, the people's. But the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. When we encourage other people in dark times, we don't placate things being better than what they really are. We just acknowledge they are what they are. They are what they are because they're in a fallen world. But man was not meant to be alone. That was the first not good thing God said in all the Bible when he saw Adam by himself. He says, it's not good for him to be alone. So I'm going to provide for him a perfect helpmate. And when we get to a place where we get isolated from one another, when we get to a place where we close down and push out and we stop rejoicing and stop relating, we stop remembering that the victory is already ours. It is easy this time of year for people to retreat a little bit. Let me tell you one of the greatest lies I think the enemy tells people who are hurting during this time of year. You're burdening other people. They don't understand how you feel. They don't get it. Let me tell you something, that is an outright lie, and that comes from the depths of darkness, darkness that covers the whole earth, and a darkness thick over the people. 
This is why Isaiah tells us thousands of years prior to the birth of Jesus that the light of man will come into the world and the darkness shall not overcome it and that you're going to deal with problems in this world. But if you will relate to other people, it's not just misery loving company. It's misery going, you know what? Yeah, this is this is bad, but I'm going to relate with other people. and We're not going to get together and make things worse. We're going to get together and we're going to remember that the victory is already ours. That's the story we get to tell to people at our our Christmas meals or in the parking lot of of going shopping or standing in the grocery store and doing things. Is man, what do you love most about Christmas? I love that Jesus came and that no matter what else happens, I've already won. I got the greatest gift in the world. I was at a gas station the other day and I I, I stopped in to to pick up a couple things real quick. Uh, I'm complaining about something else. I'll start with that. Give me a minute. Necessities, right? And so I'm there, and the, the young lady that's at the counter in front of me, she goes, oh, man, and she runs back out to her car and forgets her, her wallet, right? I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to take care of it. It can't be a couple dollars. I'm just going to do something about it. So I tell the cashier, I said, just put that on mine. So the young lady comes back in here, and <laughs> you're going to love this, right? This only happens to me. The lady kind of looked, and she says, did you just pay for that? I said, I did. She goes, well, that's interesting because the guy that was just in front of me, I told her to put his on mine too. So my little pack of donuts and $26 later, Merry Christmas. I never see you again. She looked at me, and she says, why did you do that? I said, and, I, and I've been preparing for that. She says, because I am remembering that at Christmas time that I should do nice things always because the victory is already won. Because that's just a pack of donuts and whatever. I'm remembering what Christ did for me. And I don't care that you paid for the guy in front of you, which I just paid for as well. I'm remembering that I did this because the Holy Spirit was working in me and to relate to other people. Show them my kindness. Maybe it's a simple act. Look, at the end of the day, it could have been $50. She could have filled up with diesel or something. It wasn't the amount that was there. It was the Holy Spirit doing it. She's about this tall. Her name's Ty. Ty reached up and says, can I hug you? I said, absolutely. She hugged me like three times before I walked out of the store, right? I'm just thinking there's a church member somewhere going, who's that weird guy? I don't know the last time you hugged a stranger. We did that a couple of years ago. We had 30 days of, of doing things, and one of the deals was to hug a stranger. It's cool. I'm not going to lie. It's weird, but it's cool. Because they have this look. Like, I mean, go to somebody you don't know. Can I hug you? I mean, you're probably going to get sued or something now in today's world, right? But listen, we relate to other people. It does make us feel good because we're not designed to be alone. But more than anything else, what we relate to is that our church, Common Ground Community Church, our name basically says at the foot of the cross, everyone stood on common ground in need of a Savior. Everyone. Everyone. And so when we hug a stranger or do something nice for somebody, that goes about this far. When we tell them about Jesus who related to us by coming down and living amongst us a perfect sinless life, we're remembering that the victory is ours and can be theirs too. I mean, what a better Christmas gift than to share the salvation of Jesus Christ with somebody else who doesn't know that. Man, I've got a pretty good life, but do you want a great eternal life? Because you're only going to get that by living right. Look what Isaiah says next in verse 3. It says that we can help remember the victory is ours by repenting. And church, i got to tell you something. This last year I've preached a lot about repentance. The whole book of, of Jeremiah. You, you may remember some of that. 
and, and, and I was thinking about this this morning, actually, I was going back through my notes and reading this morning. I'm like, you know, I don't know if I've done a really good job, and I'm not sure that in all of my years as a Christ follower and places I've sat in church or whatever, I don't know if I've ever really done a really good job of, of, of explaining that repentance is not a negative thing. And, and let, me, let, me, let me try to do that this morning just briefly. Sin is the negative that requires repentance. And so when we look at, at repentance, it, it's often made to sound like this is a last-ditch effort or you just need to fall apart or you need to have a lot of self-deprecation and, and, and everything else. No, no, no. Listen, sin was the bad thing that required repentance. And, and when John says to the Pharisees, when they're coming out to challenge him for baptizing others, he says to them very clearly, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And he doesn't say, beat yourself with those whips like the ascetists used to do. He says, just go back to what you did that broke your relationship with Jesus and make it right by saying, I did this and I don't want to do it anymore. And I'm going to repent of my sins, not because I'm a terrible, horrible person, but because I am not in right relationship with my creator. And I want to be back in that right relationship. And there's nothing better than being in the right relationship and saying, I did that. I'm sorry. I don't want to do it again. And that actually should be joyful. That actually should really give us a lot of hope. And we remember that Jesus came down not just to bring the hammer, but he came down to bring repentance to us to say, listen, you can come to me. You just need to understand why you need me and why I had to come down here. I came down here because I love you, but I had to come down here because you didn't know how to get back to the Father. Let me tell you, repent, turn to me. Verse 3 says, and nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. That word repent means to turn from dark to light. And a repentant heart draws people back because people are looking and going, man, that's, that's not just a responsible human being. That's not just someone who is trying to deal with a situation by saying it was me and taking ownership of it. That is someone who's saying, I'm truly sorry for what this did in the relationship, let alone all the other consequences in that. And I'm going to turn away from that because I don't want to do that anymore. Now, in context, what Isaiah is saying is that the, the temporary success that people are enjoying during this time of Isaiah 60, that's going to go away. And when, when there's not enough to make you get through to the next thing, people are going to have to go, well, how come I'm not satisfied? I'm rich. I have possessions. I've got a lot of friends, you know, all 2,000 of them on Facebook. I, I've, got, I've got all these things going on, but I'm not satisfied. And the reason why I'm not satisfied is, there is unrepentant sin in my heart, and my relationship with my Creator is not the way it was supposed to be. And God made sure we'd have that relationship by sending Emmanuel, God with us, to be born in the manger to declare to us the victory is already ours if we'll but just take it. He'll do the fighting for us. We just need to be on the right side of this. And so I want to encourage you that repentance is not this negative, horrible thing. It's this beautiful, wonderful realization that you're as broken as we already know you are, as God already knows you are, but Jesus wants to put those pieces back together. And repentance does more than just tears you down. It puts you back in right relationship to saying, you know what, it's not the way I wanted things to be, and I know that's not what God wanted them for me to be as well. I'm going to remember that the victory is mine by knowing I can go back to my creator and say, I'm sorry, I did this. That is a worshipful act that, as John would say to the Pharisees, bears fruit in keeping with repentance. And so perhaps maybe we don't remember the victory as ours because that unrepentant sin is still running 
prevalent throughout our lives because it hasn't been properly dealt with. We don't just ignore it and it goes away. No, it does. It chips away and it damages and it damages. We're rebuilding that by repenting and turning from the dark to the light because the darkness has not overcome it because of the grief of our sin. It's what Paul would also write to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. He says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Now, now think about that for just a moment. Through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Can I just, can I, can I go just a touch negative for just a second? Scratch my head. An unrepentant Christian draws no one to the cross. A Christian that lives like the world is not only sorry for the example that he set for the world, but for how he's broken his father's heart, leads no one to the cross, but will lead all of them to forever. We, as Christ followers, have been given the gift of victory through Jesus Christ so that we may spread the good news of him like the knowledge of him everywhere, like a fragrance spreads. We've had contractors in our house this week. It smells like sheetrock and busted up concrete. But we've got every one of those scent things plugged in in the whole house. And you know, when you when you have work like that done or you go in someplace, you know, I love the smell of fresh paint because someone else painted it. That's why I love it, right? But it's that smell, right, that kind of permeates, right? Garlic does the same thing. And, and a little bit tastes okay, but it overwhelms you and overpowers you and gets you crazy, right? What sweet fragrance are you smelling? Because if you have an unrepentant heart, I can tell you exactly what you smell like. Death. The next thing that Isaiah can teach us about remembering that the victory is ours is found in verse 4. Isaiah says that we, that we revel. He says, lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from, from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Now, that word to revel is one we don't really use a whole lot, especially in the South. And if we do, we maybe use it probably, again, towards the negative, but instead. But, but it basically just means celebrate. We celebrate. We celebrate the birth of Jesus. Now, now, when our Christmas lights go up, are those lights pointing towards the birth of Jesus, or they're pointing towards somebody who has a really good utility bill, right? Like, like, no, 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 I'm only at like 16.9 cents per kilowatt hour. It's good. I can run these all night. They're LEDs, right? Some of y'all have had these conversations. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, we revel in knowing that the victory is ours. We celebrate that the victory is ours. We, we, we make Christmas an event. Listen to me. We make Christ, Christmas an event when really we ought to make the reality of Christmas a complete lifestyle. Our lives as Christ followers ought to be in constant celebration because we're victorious. Okay, I took one on the chin. Things didn't go. No, no, no. I'm victorious because Jesus has brought eternal life to me, and I didn't deserve it, and he did so. He was born of a virgin in a manger, and he lived a perfect, sinless life, and he was sacrificed for my sins, for nothing he did. And it's weird. It's one of the weirdest things we do in Christianity. We're going to do that at the end of service today. We celebrate the death of Jesus Christ. And as much as I love Christmas, I really wish we would do Easter even bigger than Christmas. I mean, you want to talk about victory. 
some guy walked out of a tomb. I mean, the Nicene Creed says that he descended into hell and he taught. Now, I don't, I don't believe that, that he, he taught anything more than I told you so. <laughs> because I think Jesus went and he told all those amongst the dead that, I, hey, you've been told about me forever and ever and ever, and I'm conquering this, and I told you so, and you did not believe. He didn't offer a second chance. By the way, friends, just so you know, the birth of Jesus Christ was the second chance for all of humanity. And we ought to revel in that. We ought to celebrate that. What, what, what Isaiah says here in verse 4 is that when the, the light comes into the world, when Jesus comes, and I actually think he may be talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. When he comes, there's going to be a great gathering of souls. And some, you can actually read in other parts of the, of the Old Testament, they're going to be in the valley of indecision, and it's not going to be a good place. And in that valley of indecision, bad things are going to happen there. But what Isaiah is encouraging us and what I'm encouraging us, that we need to revel, we need to celebrate victoriously at the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ because that victory is ours already. And it's not about all the other parts of Christmas that we get busy about and forget about. A great gathering of souls will come and people will stand before Jesus. I, I heard a, 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 a debate the other day. I was on Fox News for some reason. I was, forgive me for that. But I was on there and they were like, you know, who's going to meet you at the pearly gates? Well, I think it's Paul or Peter. And I'm like, it's Jesus. <laughs> I can settle this one. You know, is St. Peter going to let you in? Hey, man, I don't know. It doesn't really matter. I mean, you know, Pete was a good guy, fist bump and all, but hey, it's Jesus. <laughs> Peter's not your advocate, and if he is, you need a better advocate. <laughs> Jesus is our advocate. And the reason why he's our advocate was because he came from heaven to earth. He became sin who knew no sin. And he lived our lives better than we could ever hope to do so. And he went to the cross for our sins so that he could stand at the gates of heaven and say, that one's with me, let him on in. And to others, depart from me, I never knew you. We should celebrate and revel at Christmas time and every time because the victory is ours. And finally, I would encourage us we should rest. Sometimes rest doesn't seem like it's as active as you think. In my house, if you turn on a, a good football game and my wife is resting and you change the channel, I'll maybe give you a better scenario. If you turn on the Hallmark channel and she's resting and you change the channel, it's like she suddenly is conscious. It's weird, right? I'm supposed to be telling her what went on last night. Hey, pray for me. Rest is very active. We think it's sometimes it's just this passive thing that we don't do, right? Like we rest because we don't have anything else to do. We rest because we're just so tired. No, sometimes resting is very active. And the resting, and, and when we get good rest, it's because we can rest knowing that everything else is fine. Okay, dads, I'm going to stereotype for a moment. 
Remember when your kids were really young and you stayed up all night trying to make sure that all the Christmas gifts and everything else, all that stuff got right? Like you're, you're, making, you're following up on Santa, right? Don't ask anybody for Christmas gifts. But, but you know, you, 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 you spend all this time at night and then you lay down and you're thinking, That, that, that there's no rest there, right? Uh, and then as your kids get a little bit older, you know, the, the, the ones that sleep till 11 o'clock on a regular Saturday, but not Christmas Day, there's no rest there, right? Because there's this anxiety, this anxiousness, maybe even a little bit of wonderment. You know, grandparents, you probably feel some of this. I mean, you, you, I, I don't know, but I can only imagine the face of, of, a, of a grandchild running downstairs and seeing all the stuff. real well. Isaiah chapter 60, verses 5 through 7, this is what he says. He says, then you shall see and be radiant. Darkness, by the way, doesn't make us radiant. Light does. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover over you. The young camels of Midian, Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. Now, you're probably wondering, what is this weirdness in this verse? What's happening here? I'm going to make it simple for you. We can rest knowing the victory is ours, remembering what Jesus did for us. We can rest in that because when Jesus comes, he's going to completely reorder society. He's already done it once, by the way. When he was born, the lines were very clearly drawn. Either you were for me or you were against me. The lines were very clearly drawn. You were my chosen people and they're not my chosen people. The lines were very clearly drawn. You are a sinner, you're a saint. When Jesus returns, he is going to reorder society. He's going to do so. In this case, it's talking of a redistribution of wealth. The sea's going to give up its wealth. The, 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 those successful in this world are going to give up their wealth. But what he's really saying here, after you get past those symbolism is, is that those of you who are poor on this earth, but are rich in spirit, it's just going to get better for you. In fact, what I think is that Jesus is going to gather all those gold and silver and all those other things, and those are, those are going to be cobblestones in heaven, right? They're going to be of no value to us there because we're going to be in the presence of the king because the victory is ours. And we can rest in that knowledge knowing that. Our world today is still very, very, very divided. And it's going to remain that way, friends. I, 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 I got to tell you, as much as I'd like to see this change or that change or this get better, that it's, it's not. And even if it does improve some, it's not going to be set back right. Only the creator is going to do that with his creation. He's the only one that has the power to do so, but also the only one that has the authority to do so. You can't pass a bill or a law. You can't change the way we burn this or use that or whatever. No, no. It is only through salvation that only Jesus Christ offers that society be reordered. And so Christians who are in the minority right now in this world, Christians, we're going to continue to suffer through things. We got it pretty good right now in the States. But other parts of the world, they do not. And one day, I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you, I think if Jesus were to come back tomorrow, most of his upper council of people are probably not going to be Americans. I just want to let you know. 
there. Now you're probably going to be African because those people know how to worship. I would love to take all of us to East Africa and look at them just for church purposes. Because they are unified. Now, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying again, culturally we just do things differently, okay? We just do things differently. But there's a celebration that comes from rest even, saying I can rest and knowledge that my God loves me, that this is what he did for me, and that he promised to happen, and he comes back. And everything's going to be reordered. And so maybe I'll get all worked up about some of these things that are going on in society because guess what? The answer is Jesus. We celebrate that. We rest in that knowledge. We remember what John said in that one little verse, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Do you believe that this morning? Do you really believe that this morning? Because I'm about to do something that I normally would not do. You see, for 39 weeks, I spoke about repentance in this church. And no one came. Last week, I opened up for people to come and pray. tell you personally yeah that hurt a little bit but it's not about me and I'm, I'm working on that there's no there's no sense in it but here's my challenge for you at Christmas this morning if you really believe that the darkness has not overcome the light how do you celebrate the victory right how do you celebrate and befriend the family quietly and so this morning I'm going to do something that is really against my perhaps maybe help us rejoice would you relate with us this morning maybe it is an opportunity for repentance although I would just tell you publicly that may not be a good idea but we can do it if we need to maybe we can just revel for just a minute the last thing I really want you to do is have all your Christmas decorations and your lights up and think that your lists are all checked up and everything's hunky-dory but are you really celebrating the victory of Jesus Christ that makes Christmas the holy gospel So as I pray this morning, I want you to consider perhaps maybe the Lord has put a 30 or 45 second message on your heart. And after we get to a point of awkward and uncomfortable silence, I want to share, share with you in love. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we are victorious because you are victorious. We are the recipients of the goodness of Jesus Christ who would leave the perfection of the presence of the Father and come to this fallen earth and would do so because of his great love for us. And so God, this morning, I pray that we get an opportunity to celebrate your goodness, whether it be coming out of bad or just recognizing of the little things of life that we would share, Lord, with others and encourage them and build them up. And iron would sharpen iron this morning. Father, maybe some of us in this room are probably really challenged. Maybe they just need a, a, a small victory right now. 
just come by, listen to somebody else's story, and being encouraged and lifted up. Father, this morning, would you impress upon the heart of others, not just to come and make a spectacle and be seen, but say, 42 years ago, I lost my best friend. I hope you were able to come and pray for him. Uh, before you hit the floor, but if you come and before you hit the ground, come for Kate today. I know I have a good buddy of mine who in August of this past year was diagnosed with uh, prostate cancer. So I went and had a look at him tracking his prostate cancer. Um, this is a text I just got from him on Friday, Sunday, Friday. Three days after chemo and the chest port, I got to say it's not fun. Supposed to get better starting tomorrow. I found a new hell for sure. Neuro neuropathy is real in this world. But because you shared the Lord with me again, I'm good now. perspective on what digging holes. Every tombstone has a start and stop point. If Christ doesn't come back, I'll have a place up there. But my greatest treasure, my greatest pleasure is to look at the pew in this place and opposite yours. I've been in a Christian environment since I was retired from the uh, railroad 28 years ago. And I've worked part-time in preschools and in janitorial work for churches and I continue uh, being in ministry. And uh, this last year I left a Christian preschool in Ozone and I work at Irene Roberts Religion Secular with their preschool. And one of the things that I have been asking the Lord is help me to branch out because my community is always Christian. And I'm like, I need to speak into the hearts of those who don't know you. So I've been looking for opportunities. So going over there um, has been an eye opener for the different gods that are served over there and the different um, ways people believe. And the Lord has given me opportunity after Everybody knows I'm a Christian. Everybody knows I'm a Jesus lover. I make it very clear. There's things I will not do that they ask of me for conscience sake. There's things that I will do and I will get in the offering. Like last Friday was Grinch Day, and I said, 
But I would, I like the Grinch movie, but I won't do Grinch because the Bible tells me the Grinch always gets the last laugh. True. Always. So I can't have a negative attitude like the Grinch had. So, so anyway, um, it's been great opportunities. Women coming up to me saying, I'm so glad you prayed for me. And I had the opportunity. I need to change my attitude and being able to share with them. God doesn't change your attitude. God gives you his son so that his son can help you choose your attitude. And so it's been op- a, a great opportunity that the Lord has given me to uh, be the network of bringing people to him. And to just be able to share amongst people what it really means to be a Christian, not just to say I'm a Christian and then have all other kinds of beliefs that aren't true, not think it your way, but to truly understand what the Bible calls a follower of Jesus. And I've been able to really help family by God's grace to begin a route of, of, of possibly, hopefully, the Lord calling them to himself. So it's been neat to work amongst nothing but scripture. <laughs> Building on what Marlene and Tiffany said, I grew up in a time when everybody told me God was your favorite painting more than you could handle. And I used to look at them and I used to say, I'm so glad God loves me. Finally, after hearing this about 47 times, a friend of mine looked at me and she said, you have the same thing as everybody else. You have the same problems. You just look at them different. going up there. So my challenge to that is this. Push somebody up. Go to the grocery store. Ask a stranger for a hug. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them about the light that shines in you. There's not one that's manufactured by pixie dust and good feelings. It's the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, church, but I just heard a couple of stories and I can in and I can revel in it. Thank you for sharing. This morning we're going to remember the Lord's 